Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Of It, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash to pieces of genre cinema. My name's Chris. And I'm Gary. And this week we're doing something we haven't done in a while. And yeah, it's been a while and we're going all in on a filmography. And I chose, (laughs) I'm sure Gary will remind you, I've chosen a director with a long and weird history in cinema. Yeah. Um, There's the good, the bad, and the very, very ugly. It's Ray Dennis Steckler. Yeah. So it's always nice every now and then to uh, pick a subject that, you know, not a lot of people have heard of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, Madonna, everyone knows her being a singer, but obviously a select view will know that she's uh, an actress, I say, yeah. obviously. Um, you know, William Castle, we did an episode on him. He's not the most well-known yeah, uh, director. Yeah, depends on the circles yeah. that you're in. Uh, Ray Dennis Steckler, even certain circles might be very unknown. So this is an obscure one. So uh, throughout this episode, you will hear us discussing family films, porn, horror, action, thriller, comedy, <laughs> romance, you name it. Everything um, that we can get our hands on. He's uh, a director that stuck his fingers in many pies, Yeah, shall we say, and didn't play by any kind of rules, which yeah. sometimes rules are there for a reason. And uh, we'll we're pretty much going through his whole filmography here. Well, I mean, let's let's uh, let's start from the very beginning. Yes, very good place uh, to start. He, he was born in Redden, Pennsylvania, where his grandmother largely raised him and nurtured his love of films. And it was at fifteen that he received an eight millimeter home movie camera from his stepfather, uh, and started shooting an amateur pirate film with his friends. Now. That didn't stop. <laughs> that, that, that didn't stop. Amateur films are his friends. Yes. Um, this director, he's very much... The passion that he has for films is is definitely there to be admired. Um, Like, at the very end of all this, we will be discussing a film that I actually... It wasn't good, but I found very touching. Um, because you, you can see that... He loves what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, how his ideas come about is, is, another, ha- is, is another thing. Um, but he served three years in the United States Army from 1956 to 1959, uh, being discharged as a sergeant. And he was an army photographer, served in Korea, and spent a year at the Kaufman Astoria Studios in Astoria, Queens, with the Army Pictorial Service of uh, the Signal Corps. Now... That will not come back because he didn't make a single war film. <laughs> no, no, he it's didn't. It's bizarre no. to me because it's the only genre he didn't touch on. Yeah, that's... I, I think war films have <clears throat> called for a much larger budget. It depends uh, who's making it, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, technically he did make films involving World War Two. That's true. Uh, well, yeah, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Yeah, do you think this is from, you know, first-hand experiences, his time in the war? Um... No, I don't think so, no. no. Uh, in 1959, he and a friend drove to Hollywood, California, to enter the film industry. That's where it all began. Steckler worked as a prop man before becoming assistant cameraman on the film The World's Greatest Sinner, 
directed by and starring Timothy Carey, uh, when the initial director of photography was fired, Steckler replaced him. And continuing to work in cinematography in the Los Angeles area, Steckler acquired a union card and established himself at major studios, including Universal Studios, when he was reportedly fired for almost knocking an A-frame onto Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, true story. <laughs> Steckler turned to the B-movie circuit. And that... <laughs> Almost knocking out Alfred Hitchcock led to all these films. Yeah. Working with Arch Hall Sr.'s Fairway Pictures, Steckler started as a cinematographer and sometimes actor in the vehicles uh, for Hall's son, Arch Hall Jr., and Steckler made his directorial debut with the Hall vehicle, Wild Guitar. But before that, he did start in Eager as a guitar player. Yes. And he was also the assistant camera operator on that. Now, we didn't watch Eager, but it looks like our exact sort of thing. And will probably lead to a full episode in the future. I feel like, um, just a little behind the scenes of the podcast, I wanted to discuss a Steckler film on the podcast. And doing my research, I realised that, number one, a lot of his films were very short, thankfully. Uh, And number two, I'm not sure if we could get a full episode out of any of them. So that's kind of what led to this look at his filmography. Also, the fantastic box set from Severin Films yes. um, that I purchased helped with that. Yeah, today we will only be discussing films included in that box set, but that is his filmography. Pretty much, um, yes. There's just a few porn films left out. Yeah, basically. so, yeah. Uh, and we'll also be discussing Angel of... Yeah, briefly, hopefully. Uh, Just to let you know, you will be getting trailers, because this is a horror culture shuffle episode, but trailers weren't available for all of his films. It kind of got to a point where it looked like he just left them out. (laughs) Just didn't bother making any. But we'll give you what we've got. And let's start with Wild Guitar. Well, I took her to a doctor, gonna find out what to do. Yes, to a doctor, gonna find out what to do. Well, the doctor couldn't fix her Cause the doctor is a twister too She's got crispy She's got crispy She's got crispy Well, she's got crispy And I just can't leave her alone Wild Guitar is a music drama following young Arch Hall Jr., who is given a shot at the big time by the uh, but the, the owner of a small record company played by Arch Hall Sr., his dad. Um, do you know what? This was actually fantastic. Well, I mean, fantastic's going a bit far, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take that back. It's good. I, yes. I like Wild Guitar. Yeah. So the tagline is, he was a country boy, but he played the wildest strings in a mad, mad town. Not quite. Not quite. The Wildest Strings, no. It, he's giving more, I don't know, um, teen idol yeah. kind of not really like 
rock and roll. Let's be completely honest. This is an Elvis biopic, but they weren't allowed to use Elvis's <laughs> yeah. name. There are so many similarities in here that were used in the Elvis film. And a lot of biopics, that same sort of formats there. But of course, this is not based on a real person. I don't feel necessarily it was a biopic of Elvis, but what it was trying to be was an Elvis film. Yeah. So I forget just how many films Elvis made. Um, and I feel like this was trying to be within that genre yeah. um, of Elvis vehicles that were mm-hmm. kind of there to sell music more than anything else. And uh, Arch Hall Senior, I think, in many ways, was a... Um, I think he came from a place of wanting to be a star and it never worked mm-hmm. for him. Yeah. So he invested all this money in films for his son and lived his dream through his son. But I kind of get the gist that his son wasn't fully into it and didn't necessarily want to uh, star in these vehicles and uh, sing and be the teen heartthrob. Yeah, his son looks a lot like John C. Riley, which having seen Walk Hard made this a lot more, a lot funnier and intentionally. Right. Um, there's also, you can see the signs of Steckler's weird style with this film, especially with an early scene in a diner, which is like something out of Twin Peaks. Like everyone's, something's a bit off with everyone. And there's even a kid with a toy gun. And when he shoots it, he makes the sound of a real gun and scares two guys. Yeah. It's it's weird. There's something just weird there about it. Um, and Steckler himself is in the film uh, as a character called Steak. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. There's this just, there's this sort of glimpse, should I say, of Steckler's weirdness. Yeah. But it's it's kind of con- constrained because he was a director for hire. Yeah. By, you know, um, the senior, you know, Arch Hall Senior. So it's kind of, as we progress through his filmography, we realise that he, most of the time, doesn't like to be stuck to a narrative. Yeah. Or a style or stuck to a script. Whereas in this one, he does because he is the director for hire. This isn't necessarily his film. But there are glimpses of these moments. And it, it probably benefits from the fact that Steckler wasn't completely in control yeah. of everything. Um, I mean, it's a good job he kind of distanced himself from Archul Senior. Because Archul Senior was uh, worried whether this film would play when the original choice of the state character was a black guy. I see. So, uh, Steckler told his friend who was in the role that he had to go, and mm. then he took on the na- on the role, and then this is when Cash Flag was born. Cash Flag, yes. So, Cash Flag is uh, his stage name. Yeah, for when he's acting. Yeah. Um, we watched a mini sort of documentary on him, uh, which is part of the incredibly strange film show by Jonathan Ross. Uh, and he really takes this cash flag seriously. Like he did two separate interviews for it. One in the cash flag, one in the road and a Yeah. <laughs> um, and the whole joke is that this cash flag is just a really unhinged guy. And it just adds another layer to Steckler that's just so weird and 
honestly entertaining. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, his name's Steak in this film and he only eats steak for breakfast. He, yeah, it's fucking so strange. And it only gets weirder. Yeah. And I, I the thing I like about Wild Guitar is that it, it's a product of its time. Yeah. And it's got that Americana that I love and that, I, you know, we've mm-hmm. seen in other podcast episodes. I love that style of Americana. Yeah. I love the go-go dancing beach babes. I love the, the random songs that don't really make sense uh-huh. in the context of the, the film. Um, I love how the hair is pristine even after a fight scene. Yeah, I, I love the, the coiffed hair that makes um, Bud's head look massive. Yeah. His head looks huge in this film, and I love it. It's so silly. Highlight for me, though... Vicky Wills. It has to be Vicky Wills. <laughs> so Nancy Saar plays Vicky Wills, the love interest of mm-hmm. the film. And she was a former ice skater who after her film career ended, went on to train the South Korean figure skating team. And there's a scene where she not only ice skates, but she ice skates. She does. She's doing spins, she's doing twirls, she's doing things that I don't know the name of. Yeah. She is ice skating. More impressive than every single one of his music So impressive. You know... Way more impressive than his guitar playing and singing. The film should have been about ice skating. It should have been. It should have been. Uh, and another great thing about this film is the cinematography. It's something with a few uh, of Steckler's films. Is he knows how to make a film. Mm. And it looks fantastic. It it looks really good. Like the musical scenes and everything. It just, he, you know, he did a really good job of directing this. He's, um, and we'll discuss it further had a knack of choosing or helping start the career of some very successful cinematographers. Yeah. You know, and directors of photography. Um, so, I mean, he did kind of... A lot of these films didn't make money, let's mm. be fair. I don't think any of them did. No. I don't, I, and I don't think they were ever destined to be talked about by two queer blokes in Salford... In 2023, no. <laughs> they shouldn't have lasted, uh, but they have. But uh, he did. He did kind of make his money from photography. Yeah. Out, you know, with the the films not making any money, he did have to make money somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that the porn films did make money though, potentially because they they cost ten dollars to make. Yeah. At Wild Guitar, before we move on, was restored yeah. by uh, director and fan Nicholas Winding Refn and featured at a Black Deer Festival in 2019. So he's got some famous fans. He has. It's, it's a, yeah, I think this film in particular, um, it, it's, it's a highlight in his filmography. I know, another highlight of the film, though, is um, Daisy. Yeah, we always we always sort uh-huh. of you know focus on the women in these films. You mean Mae West? Mae West. Um, so there's a scene where uh, our hero is being tricked into debauchery with a, a young lady called Daisy, and uh, she's introduced. This is Daisy. She's going to teach you how to swing, and she does. She does. <laughs> she definitely does. 
But after musical drama, comedy, romance thrown into one, uh, he dipped his feet into a different kind of pond. That pond being horror, and that brought uh, that br- <laughs> that brings us to his most famous film, The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies. Incredible is the word for the world's first monster musical. See in magnificent Eastman color, the daring, dancing, enticing, and horrifying, the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Who is the woman branded in birth wearing the ward of horror? The world's first monster musical. The incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Yes. 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 (laughs) Originally titled The Incredibly Strange Creature or Why I Stopped Living and Became a Mixed Up Zombie uh, until Columbia Pictures threatened to sue Ray Dennis Steckler (laughs) saying the title was a bit too similar to Doctor Strange Love. Or how I stopped lear- how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Steckler amazed that Columbia would feel so threatened by a thirty eight thousand dollar film. Phoned the studio to straighten things out. He made no progress until he demanded that Stanley Kubrick got on the line. And when Kubrick picked up, Steckler suggested a new title, and he accepted, and the matter was dropped. He came to an agreement with Stanley, with Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick for this film. <laughs> um. Yeah. And, and a little bit of background. He took this film on the road himself. And made it a success under a number of titles, including Diabolic Doctor Voodoo and The Teenage Psycho Meets Bloody Mary. No, I, I don't know why. The film received more notoriety again in 1997 when it was featured on Mystery Science Theatre. At some screenings back in the day, theatre employees and Ray Dennis Steckler himself wore monster masks and ran through the theatres to scare the customers. Now, this isn't a one-off. This is a regular thing. Yes. Um, and it's since gone on to become a cult classic uh, as being one of the worst films ever made as being celebrated by fans of B-movie, camp or kitsch films. We thought this was going to be trash to piece territory, didn't we? Yeah. I, I'm i not going to lie. I was disappointed. Yeah. I, I was disappointed because it had the whole cult classic trash to piece mm-hmm. um, thing about it. And I, I just didn't, I didn't get it. I just thought it was dull. The title's better than the film. Yeah, it had its moments. I, I like, the, the thing with Steckler, he's a bit like William Castle. Yeah. Well, um, well actually, William no, Castle's no, films were much better. <laughs> but the idea that, you know, William Castle was always looked at as a, a bit of a carny. Yeah. And a lot of the ideas around his film mm-hmm. was how he can um, incorporate the audience yeah. participation and how he can make it a spectacle and go into the cinema as a spectacle. And I think Steckler took a lot from that. Obviously, William Castle's films, much better. Mm-hmm. Really, so much better. But to have a title like The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies and to have the, um, you know, incorporate the spectacle into it is very similar to Castle. Um, The end product, not as great. 
<laughs> it's an interesting enough premise. Um, the, you know, the cinematography isn't completely awful. The soundtrack's fine. There's a few camp moments in there and some laughable, so bad it's good moments, but not enough to keep it entertaining. It's 82 minutes, but it feels like double that. It's just honestly really boring. Um, yeah. It was shot nicely, though. It's an early film for the assistant camera man Laszlo Kovacs and camera operator Vilmos uh, Sigmund, who would go on to find great success in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, Oscar winning. Um, they worked, well, Laszlo worked on Easy Rider, Five Easy Pieces, What's Up Doc, Shampoo, Ghostbusters, The Next Karate Kid, Free Willy 2, The Adventure Home, uh, Miss Congeniality, and wow. My Best Friend's Wedding. Whereas Vilmos went on to work on uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Images, Deliverance, Obsession, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Deer Hunter, which is of Eastwood. Yeah. So really, yeah. you know, it, it is actually a nicely shot film for the budget. This was his highest budgeted film, though, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, of all his films. And I think maybe the only straight up film that made any money. Yeah. Cash Flag... Um, it's probably the most, maybe the most well-known cash flag character. Um, this is where just the hood thing, where he puts his head up and becomes a psychopath. Because oh he's yeah, possessed. Yeah, he's um, kind of our hero in this film, strangely. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, probably the worst cash flag performance. <laughs> yes. Like it just, even though he does his whole thing, putting his head up and everything, it doesn't feel like he's doing anything. Yeah, and this is the first film to feature uh, Carolyn Brandt. Yeah, it? now, yeah. You hear that name a Carolyn lot. Carolyn Brandt is yeah. an absolute queen. Um, she and wasn't in this film, though. Not in this film, but this episode is pretty much, I mean, hers just <laughs> yeah. as well as it is Steckler's, because she uh, married Razor Steckler, and they, you know, she ended up being in majority of his films. Yes, yes. So he liked to save money by employing friends and family. Yeah. Clearly, and himself. Uh-huh. Um, but Caroline, bless her, in this one, she's one half of a, a very bored-looking ballroom dancing couple. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She also plays an alcoholic who doesn't really act drunk. No. But I feel like it's meant to, more bored than anything else. <laughs> uh, we also get Madame Estrella, who has taken... <laughs> Makeup tips from Liz Taylor. Yeah. But kind of... <laughs> kind of went way too heavy mm-hmm. on the... You know, and Liz Taylor, she wore her makeup heavy. But uh, Madame Estrella wears it heavy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the accent is highly suspicious. It's true. <laughs> um, But... These moments are few and far between, unfortunately. Because mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of sort of... Something he really enjoyed was these establishing shots that go on too long. Yeah, he's a big fan of walking. Yes. Seeing people walking. Um, there's the pitch black point of view on a mm. roller coaster that makes absolutely no yeah. sense because you can't see anything. Um, <laughs> the dancing, the, the sort of... Can can dancing go go girls look bored? Yeah, <laughs> and the songs aren't that memorable. 
Choo Choo Char Boogie is maybe a standard. I can't remember a single song from that. Shook Out of Shape, um, which is sung by Carol Kay and the Stone Tones. And it appears to be a song about her mother slipping a disc whilst angrily performing the twist. Oh, I do remember that one. Yeah. Yeah, And it sounds camp. And it looked camp. It didn't feel. I didn't. No, I just wasn't it's getting just boring. it. Boring. I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, vibing with it. No. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, things get better before they, they get worse. They do. In 1964, Ray Dennis Steckler brought us the Thrillkillers. It's a hallucinogenic nightmare. You are put in the middle of the picture with bloodthirsty maniacs all around you. Not only on the screen, but live maniacs in the audience. All over the theater, looking for victims. Homicidal maniacs escape from an asylum. They terrorize a community. Gullible, love-starved women become their prey. And you'll see these same bloodthirsty maniacs in the audience all around you alive. The Thrill Killers. Which, uh, when the film was originally released, was also taken on a road show, just like um, Incredibly Strange Creatures. And this time, uh, Steckler and the uh, cinema workers would go on wearing cash flag masks. Yeah. I feel like this is his most famous image. So this was the image yeah. they chose for the Blu-ray cover. It is. And this is kind of... He kind of looks the same in every film, yeah. this cash flag. And I will refer to him as cash flag. Um, he does pretty much look the same in every film and plays a very similar character. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was meant to only focus on three... Mental patients that escaped the asylum. However, during shooting, Steckler realized that the film was not going to run long enough and decided to shoot scenes of him as Click. Now, this time around, this works. I like The Thrill Killers. I would say it is a good film. Yes. There are some things in here that are so bad it's good. Yeah. Um, but also, it's camp uh, and it's kind of a little ahead of its time. I mean, this would feel. There are scenes where it's like Hollywood style romance and comedy and such, but then there's also scenes that would feel at home in something like Last House on the Left or an 80s slasher film. Yeah. Like Or even, dare I say, a little bit Hitchcockian. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's um there's something about this one where it feels like he's on something. Yes. Um and Liz Renee's in it. Liz she is Renee. Fantastic. Um she's given performance of a lifetime as someone who has to run more than Tom Cruise in a Mission Impossible film. Um, but this, yeah, it's... I mean, Liz Renee's amazing. Cash Flag, top-notch entertainment watching him in this. I don't know what the fuck he was on uh, at the time. No. He was entertaining yes. to watch. There's a scene where he's with a, a prostitute and uh, he calls her a cheap slut or whatever. And she's like, cheap? $50? You call that cheap? And it is just camp entertainment it is ridiculous it is and and again it's kind of that 60s americana that i really enjoy but a little more edgier but a little edgier yeah, yeah. there's decapitations the no, in this yeah <laughs> and it's it, but it, it's that exploitation yeah cinema um yeah as 
uh, Gary mentioned the uh, blonde bombshell that never was. Liz <laughs> Renee plays our uh, girlfriend character, Liz Saxon. Um, she was in Lady Street Fighter and Desperate Living. Um, her fella, uh, the uh, struggling actor, Joe. And we know it. <laughs> played by the muscly leading man that never was, <laughs> Joseph Bardo. Um, he was credited as Brick Bardo for some reason. Um, and he was um, he was one of the I Am Spartacus slaves in Spartacus. Uh-huh. Um, he was also, fa- I don't know famously, but he was also one of Mae West's muscle men. Okay. And there's a scene in the film... Uh, at a cafe mm-hmm. where the girl who works at the cafe is a little obsessed with our struggling actor yeah. and has his pictures. And one of them is with Mae West. Uh-huh. So he, the, the, uh, the um, Bardot, um, whatever it's, jo- Joseph Bardot, Brick Bardot, um, he was one of, on stage, Mae West's muscle men. So yeah. that is a picture of him in real life, um, which is uh, quite funny when... Uh, May West pops up randomly in any film. Yeah, you can tell that. You can tell that uh, Steckler is a May West fan. Um, there are certain things that pop up here and there where people talk just like May West. Um, <laughs> this film also uh, has a very upbeat rock and roll soundtrack. Yeah. Even during scenes where people are running for their lives and being murdered, and such. That's true. That is very true. And we even get uh, a chase on a horse as well. Yeah. Horseback chase. This is something that Steckler did a lot, where the tone changes or the tone doesn't quite match, or he gets a little bored and decides to throw something completely random in. It works in this. Yeah. To a certain degree. And this isn't a perfect film. No, don't it's don't a get mess. don't get it twisted, you know. But it, it's a camp kitsch mess, mm-hmm. um, which makes it enjoyable. It's not boring, um, but he never worked with a script. No, so it's very much B B movie, more like C D E F movie. Well, we'll, we'll stick with B. <laughs> low budget guerrilla filmmaking, yeah. where he just kind of got friends and family involved and decided to just shoot and go for it. Yeah. And if he weren't feeling something one day, then he would just film something else and mm-hmm. just try and slot it in. Yeah. And it most of the time it doesn't work. No. But it's it sometimes makes really fun films yeah. like The Thrill Killers. Yeah, I mean, there's decapitations, dancing, horse yeah. riding, not beat rock and roll soundtrack. It, it's got it all. Liz Renee running through the what so mountains, constantly she, running. She's running. Where is she running? I don't the, know. Like where the rocky she's terrain. Yeah. Um, she's got heels on for the majority <laughs> of it, and then loses the her heels. Hair stays in place. Her the hair whole stays time. in place. It's very obvious that the the guy chasing her is. Travelling much faster than our Liz, Renee, mm-hmm. um, and has to kind of slow himself down <laughs> yeah. so he doesn't catch up with her a la Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, as much as things are looking promising, 
with uh, the Thrill Killers. Sadly, up next, we've got Bowery Boys fan film, Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters in 1965. Don't come if you're chicken. This show is not for sissies. If you're not afraid, be sure to see the world's craziest fun and fright show, The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monster. A thousand and one laughs, thrills, and chills. In widescreen and Eastman color. Yeah, so this, this is a weird one because I've actually seen a lot of love for this film. Yeah. From Steckler fans mm-hmm. and from interviews with Steckler and, and Carolyn Brandt as well. They've, they've kind of held this theme in quite a high esteem. Yeah. For me, it, it's weird because it is essentially grown ass men acting like children. Yeah. So at best, it's cringy. And at worst, it, it's like they're playing characters with learning difficulties yeah but i and think I, this is very I much the bowery boys yeah you know, i think this is their thing i've not watched any bowery boys. no definitely don't intend to now um but i feel like it's very much free stooges sort of thing you know abbott and costello laurel and hardy um but these are meant to be kids i mean it's called the lemon grove kids but this very much feels like because his steckless kids are in it and you know quite frankly they're very annoying um <laughs> don't put child actors down but it there's, there's no denying how annoying it was. Um, but it very much, you know, this is his friends and family. This entire film is this his friends is. and family. And yeah. it feels like they all got together to make a home movie, doing a homage to Bowery Boys. And set designs, costume designs, ambitious. It, you know, he really went for it. There's a scene of him doing tricks and flips on a UFO, um, which disappears every now and then. Mm. He knows what he's doing. It, you know, fair play to him for giving it a go. But I was fucking bored. And I like slapstick comedy. Uh, but it but just wasn't funny. It's not slapstick when you, people are just falling over for no reason. Yeah. And just... It, it is grown-ass men pretending to be children. And it... Yeah. It's the voice that goes with it. And it when there are actual children in the film as well, it just... It feels strange. Mm. Um, and I, I know that's not the intent. I, I do know it's not the intent, but it just, it's something off about it. Yeah. Um, a highlight, though, is the, the young woman practicing her go-go dancing in her backyard. That's I true. did appreciate That's true. That. And, uh, of course, uh, Carolyn Brandt as well. Of course, playing the vampire. Is she a vampire lady from She's outer space? She's star, isn't she? She's uh, Cece, what's her name, from... Um... Who's in his next film? Oh, as well. so she was in. Yeah, so I feel like we have to to, to say that the film itself is uh, an anthology. The Lemon Grove Kids Meet the Monsters is an anthology. So Ray Dennis Steckler directed one of the films, but it, it's it's very much a group effort. But he only officially directed the first of the three he, he's in all films, he's in but all he's in all of them. Caroline Brant's in, in all of them. Um, you know, so the the first one is about a race between two gangs. Yeah. 
Um, and you get the usual kind of Steckler fake fighting. Yeah. Um, this one ends in a race and all that business. And randomly the police are involved as well. Yeah. Um, there is admittedly a funny scene at the end where the character played by Steckler, Cash Flag, uh, interrupts an amateur film being shot, believing that mm-hmm. a woman is really in danger. I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah. I like the costumes in the film, um, in that scene specifically, the monster costumes mm. and all. I think, uh, yeah, he he has that sort of low-budget B-movie monster feeling about him. And I actually wish he made a straight-off monster film, because I think it would have been good. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Lemon Grove kids meet the grasshopper and the lady vampire lady from outer space is the second film. Uh, and that does exactly what it says on the tin uh, with uh, the vampire lady, I believe, being the grasshopper's beard. Uh, <laughs> and then the third film is the Lemon Grove kids go Hollywood, which is very much a precursor to ruthless people. Uh, with Hollywood actress C.B. Beaumont being kidnapped for $1 million, but her agent, her agent doesn't give two shits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, Ruthless People. Have you seen Ruthless I've People? Not, no. You need to watch Ruthless People. It's um, Bette Midler gets kidnapped and held for ransom by Judge Reinhold and Supergirl. can't remember her name. Helen Slater. Helen Slater. <laughs> And Danny DeVito's her husband, and he's like, I don't give two shit, she can keep her for all I care. Wow. <laughs> she pretty much, you know... Took inspiration from this. The Lemon Grove kids go Hollywood. Uh, producer, cinematographer and editor Keith A. Wester's film debut, and much like you've said with other members of the crew, members of the crew he went on to receive six Academy Award nominations for sound mixing. Uh, the films were Black Rain... Waterworld, The Rock, Air Force One, Armageddon, and The Perfect Storm. Oh. Yeah, good for him. That's, yeah. Good good for him. He got something out of this. Everyone's got to start somewhere. You know, everyone's, not everyone's a Nepo baby. So you got to start somewhere. It's true. Next up, a film that very much feels like a continuation of The Lemon Grove Kids is the 1966 action comedy superhero thriller classic, Ratfink Abubu. Ratfink Abubu? Ratfink Abubu. Help me, will somebody please help me? Ratfink will, ape, drop that girl. You heard me, you big ape. Take that ape. Ratfink and Boo-Boo, the leaders of today, Building the leaders of tomorrow. And I want all you young people to grow up to be good American citizens. Remember, your country needs you. Ratfink, you're the greatest. Ratfink and Boo Boo are coming. It was originally called Ratfink and Boo Boo, but the the guy in charge of doing the opening titles forgot to put the N and D on and, and... Ray Dennis Steckler couldn't afford to get it added. Wasn't it thirty five dollars? He yeah. didn't have the thirty five dollars to get it fixed. This was so originally called the yeah. film Ratfink A Boo Boo. <laughs> this entire film is a bizarre series of events. It was originally supposed to be a crime drama. Mm-hmm. Um, but after shooting forty minutes of footage, Steckler got bored, and yeah. he decided the film was not working. He couldn't afford to scrap it, and portions of the film were unintentionally funny. So he had two characters go into a room, burst out, 
in makeshift costumes as Ratfink and Boo Boo. He padded out the rest of the film with chase scenes, fight scenes, and even an encounter with a gorilla and its gay owner. <laughs> he shot footage of the duo appearing in a real-life parade as if it were being held in their honour. Uh, they just hijacked a parade. basically, And that's uh, Ratfink and Boo Boo. A film that I gave the same rating to as Lemon Grove Kids. But this one gets a love heart because this is fucking hilarious. It, it is. The, the shift in tone, it'll give you whiplash. Yeah. It's so weird. It's so quintessentially Steckler as well. Now we've been through his whole filmography. Yeah. This may be his most Steckler film. Yeah. Um, it's... It's hard to describe just... It's like everything rolled into one. It is. You know, even the wild guitar musical scenes, this one has a character who just keeps going around singing about how much he hates women. Um, Like, he sings to uh, poor Carolyn Brandt about how she's been cheating and running wild, but this is whilst they're smiling at each other, they're playing basketball together, riding on a carousel and doing various other random shit. And it's like, then after they start barking at each other, it's like, they what do. is going on? Well, what is this? Um, I mean, it's a superhero film where people genuinely risk their lives because, let's face it, there's no fucking stunt people on set of this film. And there are scenes where someone's in a bike and sidecar and Ratfink is standing on this sidecar as he's driving around in this chase scene. Oh my god, he could have died. He could have. He could have flew off that and died. And that sort of, you know, that sort of commitment to filmmaking, it's got to be admired. Yeah. Um, standouts for me are the fact that Lonnie Lord has sold 10 million records and has only three fans that show up for <laughs> anything. Uh, <laughs> the, the aforementioned strange song that completely out of place uh the actually genuinely quite scary phone calls yeah to see cb beaumont cb beaumont it's really difficult to say by the way yeah what a stupid name uh cb beaumont where they're at her door at mm-hmm. her window and then it kind of leads nowhere yeah. It completely goes, you know, it cuts away and it's like, okay, was she killed? Was she murdered? Mm-hmm. And then she turns up at uh, a fella's house, gets a phone call at a fella's house and runs home. Yeah. And like, well, no, isn't that, they know where you live, C.B. <laughs> Beaumont. Um, how they know where she lives, I'm not really, or, or how they knew where she was mm-hmm. and her fella, Lonnie, whatever his name is. Them. There's so many questions, so many yeah. questions. It's best to just forget them and then just enjoy it. And yeah. enjoy the moment that those two men walk into that closet, struggle to get back out, and then return in the, the worst Batman and Robin ripoff costumes ever put to film. Yeah. Just enjoy it. Uh-huh. Even Steckler himself said about the film that. It's that moment that the audience goes wild because they were bored up until that point. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then it, the film becomes a comedy. Right. Do you have anything to say about Kogar the gorilla? Um, Kogar the gorilla. 
No reason to why he should be there. No reason as to why he should be there. But there's also no reason to why his film should exist. So. Yes. Uh, his owner is visibly gay. His owner is visibly gay. Kogart is played by Bob Burns. Yeah. Who has a long career in special effects with a speciality seemingly in gorilla suits, according to his IMDb. <laughs> um, he worked on Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings trilogy and King Kong. Yeah. So again, you know, a, a real weird start for people's careers. Yeah. I suppose if you're behind the, the scenes, you're not really blamed for any of it. Well, yeah. It tends to be the actors and actress, actresses and the directors that get all the blame for things like shit. Um, well, thankfully, we've now reached the peak of Ray Dennis Steckler's career. Mm. Starting in 1969 with Body Fever. So, Body Fever has a poster um, where it's a needle... And someone in there who looks like the singer, Seema, um, looking like she's trying to get out. Now, I don't know why, because this is not a horror film. This is actually a neo-noir uh, following a down-and-out private detective who is hired to catch a woman who dresses like Catwoman whilst committing robbery. Yeah. As weird and wild and camp as that sounds, this is actually probably his most serious, mature and grounded film. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird one. Because one of the posters says this unusual Raymond Chandler type detective movie is set in the sordid underworld of drug trafficking and mm -hmm. prostitutes. It involves Charlie Smith, Private Eye, whose job is to find Carrie Erskine and fast. Carrie has ripped off the ringleader of a drug racket and he is now after her blood. Exciting chase sequences and fights add up to a hell of a Private Eye story with an ending that will certainly surprise you. But it's marketed, poster-wise, at least, mm. as like a horror film. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a slasher film. Yeah. But it was actually a quite interesting detective story. A, a, like Gary said, a neo-noir. Yeah. Um, Liz Renee and Joseph Bardo are back from The Thrill Killers. They return as uncredited party guests. <laughs> I appreciate it. I like... I would like to... Do a deep dive into Liz Renee's yeah. history and her career because she was most famous for her the guys that she dated off screen, uh -huh. uh, particularly one who was a known member of the mafia. Yeah, and it kind of destroyed her career. And I'm sorry, a little tangent there, but I'd love to do a deep dive on her sort of story and her filmography. Um, but yeah, the, this film. It's also not as drug heavy as no. I thought. If if anything, it was almost like a precursor to the Long Goodbye, mm. the Altman film. Yeah. Strangely enough to say about a Steckler mm -hmm. film, it really caught me off guard. Yeah. Um, the performances are really good here. Um, so I mean, Steckler himself is probably his best performance. Mm. Um and. I would say Carolyn Brandt, maybe her best performance as well uh, in any of his films. She starts a film in her Jane Bond attire. Yeah. A uh, Catwoman slash James Bond parody character who we will be discussing um, a little later on in a place you may not expect to hear <laughs> Jane Bond discussed. Jane Bond. Um, and when I started, I thought, okay, here we go. It's, uh, 
it's going to be a uh, one of those films. It's going to be another fucking weird Stekler film. But no, I was genuinely really invested, and I think it's a genuinely good film. Yeah, not a single out of place musical number because no. it didn't need it. No. Um. Yeah. This this is one that I would I would recommend to people. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And do you know what it? But actually, no. Before we move on, we have to mention this. When he completed, when Steckler finished the last scene of the film, when he was walking to his car, he saw Coleman Francis drunk and lying in the gutter. And he felt so bad about him um, that he, even though he finished work on the film, he offered him a role in the film and uh, he added some scenes in just to give him some work and some badly needed cash. Uh, which he gave Francis in advance, which is, you know... Oh, wow. Lovely guy. Steckler at times, clearly. Steckler and his crew were astonished when Francis showed up for work the next day sober, clean-shaven and nicely attired, <laughs> which is a bit of a problem since Steckler wanted him to play the part of a disheveled bum. Francis had used the advance to pay uh, for a decent second-hand suit, a shave and a haircut. That's that's very nice. It is of him, yeah. And I, I, again, it kind of reiterates the idea that Steckler ultimately doesn't care too much about the end product if it makes sense. Yeah. Or you know, he would just throw in an extra character just to yeah. help someone out. Like, okay, but what about the film? Uh, a big chunk of the film was also shot in Steckler's basement. And a sequel to Body Fever titled Bloody Jack was filmed in nineteen seventy two. Shot on 16mm film starring Steckler, Brandt and Herb Robbins. And the film had a basic serial killer plot. Yeah. Charlie Smith returns and all the women he knows uh, start to get killed. Principal photography was completed, but the film was never edited or scored. It's something Steckler did a lot as well. Start films and yeah. not finish them or not release them. Um. Again, I just think it's because this was almost like a bit of a hobby to him. Yeah. He didn't really have enough skin in the game to to want to make sure these are big box office hits. Mm -hmm. You know, very cheap to make. Really didn't matter too much. Seemingly, he had another flow of income. Um, Caroline Brandt, in an interview, suggested it may have had something to do with quaaludes uh but we're not too sure <laughs> but he did also did photography and, yeah. and, and such so these were kind of passion project yeah projects to a certain degree so he could afford to just be like eh, you know if it, if it ends up shit it ends mm -hmm. up shit it's just, this is what i fancy filming today or this yeah. is you know all that business well, next up in 1970, we get Cynthia, the Devil's Doll. So, Body Fever was ambitious. So is Cynthia, the Devil's Doll. Um, I mean, this is top-notch, weird entertainment, psychedelic, trippy, 70s horror. Um, I mean, there's a bit of a problem with the pacing in the middle section. Some mm. of the dialogue's laughable. But aside from that, this is the sort of weird shit we love, and he he did a really fucking good job with this. It, it didn't really it didn't star Carolyn Brand. Do you think anyone else was really any of his friends and family? It just it just felt like an actual film. It felt yeah. like it was actually you know an actual production that wasn't just a home movie. Um, 
he was actually having a hard time casting the lead female part. Uh, and the actor who plays the father, Ted Rotter, uh, he was on his way to Steckler's offices when he had car trouble and got a ride from a girl, a Sunday school teacher, no less. And when the two of them came in together and Steckler gave Rotter the script, Steckler looked at her and exclaimed that his Cynthia had been found. Yeah. This Body Fever and Cynthia are two films that have quite a bit in common. I feel like it's Steckler going for a more coherent yeah. film. One that sort of makes sense from beginning to end, that isn't completely tonally um, here, there and everywhere. There are also both films that were marketed confusingly. Yeah. Because the tagline to Cynthia is half child but all woman. How abnormal can a girl be? It doesn't quite make any sense. And it's called Cynthia the Devil's Doll. There's no doll in it. There's no, no. reference to a doll. Uh, IMDB says that she's trapped in the body of a doll or something, which makes absolutely no sense because that is not the film. Metaphorical. Ma- maybe. But it makes it sound like it's child's play. Yeah. You know? Um, Cynthia kills her parents because she's got the hots for her dad. Yeah. It's actually a surreal and weird take on an incest storyline. Yeah. You know, this Cynthia is obsessed with her father Mm -hmm. and so obsessed that she ends up killing him and her mother when she's 12. 12? Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) The actress was certainly not 12. (laughs) More like 25 plus. Yeah. Um... But she ends up killing her parents because of her obsession with her father. She has these weird dreams and we have these very strange, almost Kenneth Anger-esque mm. dream sequences. Yeah. Um, and it, it, of course, you know, the whole thing doesn't make any sense because it is a surreal yeah. film. It's, it's meant to be weird. Yeah. It's meant to be out there. But it is almost cohesive. It is, you know, has a start, middle and end. Mm-hmm. The end is essentially her waking up and like, I'm fine now. Uh, <laughs> but, still... <laughs> but the bits in between are very visually striking. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it actually is it's quite entertaining. It is. It is. I mean, it starts with, you know, her killing the parents and then a orgy in hell that's shot with a sort of psychedelic style. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's really, really weird. Um, it's probably his weirdest film. But, you know, that's what we love. That's what we love. And, you know, I wish he made more films like this. Yeah. And Body Fever. I really do. Because, you know, the sign is there for a fantastic filmmaker who could have gone on to make bigger and better things. Yeah. Um... But did not. Did no. Not, did not, My highlight say. from Cynthia is when she and two companions are watching what appears to be a topless version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf <laughs> starring her parents where they're both <laughs> quarrelling because they're both gay and her mother comes on to her afterwards and then she dreams of her father marrying her. Yeah. Um... Also, a big takeaway from this is the fact that Lana Del Rey could and should wear 
and in some cases has probably worn every single outfit in yeah, this film. Yeah, she could play it's every character. So, Lana Del Rey, late 60s. Yeah. That hair, that style. Um, no one works in a waffle house, but it, it's that kind of Lana Del Rey aesthetic. She could play every character in this She film. could, she could. Um, but yeah, with that, with that being said, Body Fever and Cynthia, for me, that is the peak of Ray Dennis Steckler. That's the highest of the highs. Um, a thrill killer's up there as well. But those are the highest of the highs. Sadly, that means we're moving on to the lowest of the lows. Starting with Blood Shack from 1971. So we watched the 60 minute version, thankfully. Um, this film couldn't be distributed unless it was a minimum of 70 minutes. So Steckler went back and added 10 more minutes of random footage from a rodeo. Oh my God. If I see another road, if I don't see another rodeo in my entire life, I'll die a happy man. That this film was fucking excruciating. Oh, it wasn't just our first time at the rodeo. It was our fucking 50th time at the rodeo. Yeah. So it this is so repetitive. This is a film about a young woman who inherits a ranch that's supposedly haunted by a murderous beast called the Chupa. The poster shows the Chupa, a big ripped bold man with a machete. You think you're in for a fun slasher flick. Oh my God, this is nothing of the sort. The Chupa is uh, a guy in a hood running around screaming at people every now and then. The rest of the film is made up of footage of his kids doing stupid shit, riding horses, watching rodeos, and Carolyn Brandt, I mean, her look is a serve, as always, but she's just doing nothing. No one does anything in this film, apart from the guy who's like, constantly like, ah, yeah, stay away from that house, but that's it. That's all he does. Yeah. It begins in a slasher film way. Yeah. With this <laughs> silly bitch who's so adamant on staying over. She is aggressive. In this haunted shack. She She's aggressively adamant <laughs> that she's going to stay over. No one else wants to. He's like, oh, you're all a bunch of scaredy cats. And she says she's going to defeat the ghost. Whatever. <laughs> but then acts scared. She's surprised when he shows up. The whole time. She's in her bra and knickers for some reason. <laughs> in a bed that looks disgusting yeah he's out in the middle of nowhere and she she's surprised when he turns up she's not prepared <laughs> whatsoever despite being violently adamant that everyone else was a bunch of scaredy cats yeah um stupid i thought it was chopper and not chooper sometimes it sounded like people were saying chipper um way too much time dedicated to watching steckler's kids explain but also play musical chairs with one chair because it's only the two of them um a lot of time dedicated to some random dude who wants to buy the ranch harassing caroline brandt into (laughs) selling him the ranch and i ain't being funny the ranch and the shack absolute shithole yeah it don't look like anything could live there. It's even said that no horses could live there. Yeah. The Caroline Brandt character, she is dressed to the nines. She is. 
She looks like a real modern woman about town. Yeah. Why she's decided to live on this ranch. Girl, if someone's offering you money for that shithole, take it. Absolutely. Like, get yourself another nice outfit with it. Fucking hell. Exactly. Um, she has a photo of herself. In she her does. Home for some reason. I mean, who can blame her when she looks like that? You know. The narration has a really, really annoying echo effect for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. It's just her. She plays Carol in the film, and Carol. Yeah, we went to the rodeo, and the kids came. It's, it's a Carrie Bradshaw style. It narration. is. And the you know, she loves narration. Is there? Are we allowed to give spoilers? Um, you did say how Cynthia ended. I did. I oh yeah, I did. Um, well, this one has the guy who's harassing her turn out to be the Chupa, but turns out it's not the Chupa. I don't know. Yeah, it's awful. It it really is abysmal, and. <laughs> It's bottom of the barrel, and I just don't know where it came from. After two yeah. hits, two good films in a row, to then this crap, what I'm assuming is that the two decent films didn't sell. Yeah. And so he kind of went back to pretending. Not pretending, but maybe mismarketing something as a straight up slasher film. Yeah. When it, it's not, it's nothing of the sort. It's it very much just back to feeling like you should make your films for the sake of it. Yeah. But even this this one didn't even have the decency to sort of have a tonal shift. No. It, it was just padded out with this yeah. rodeo crap. It's like if you have to pad this film out, then maybe don't make the film. It's not a story to if be you don't told. Have, if you don't have a full film to make, yeah. don't make it. Or just make it a short, you know? Well, with the decline of driving horror films of the nature Steckler was producing in the 60s and following his divorce from Brandt, unfortunately, uh, with whom he had daughters Linda and Laura... Film stars, because they have no choice and they're constantly in every fucking film he makes. <laughs> Steckler produced hardcore adult films during the 1970s and 1980s. Circa 1986, he married his second wife, Catherine, with whom he had daughters Morgan and Bailey. So now we have reached the X-rated version of the episode. Version? The X-rated section of the episode. So if you're not 18 plus... You shouldn't have been listening from the start anyway. All we do is fucking swear and say dirty things. Um, but yes, we are getting down to business now. Yes. <laughs> um, now he has a lot, a of, porn lot of porn films. We are discussing the ones included in the box set. Yes. So these are the ones included in the Severin box set. I'm not sure why these are the ones included. Um, but once not included, I would like to give you some of their names, um, if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. Vicious Virgin, uh, Pleasure Between Heaven and Hell, What You See Is What You Get, <laughs> The French Trilogy of French Throat, French Fantasies and French Heat, <laughs> Sex Rink, Teenage Massage Parlor, yeah. South of the Border, Rufus Potter's Hooker Scam, and uh, many more, including Swing Club, Debbie Does Las Vegas, uh, Debbie True Love Strikes Back, Plato's Retreat West, Cat House Fever. Um, yeah, 
essentially what we're looking at here is the fact that adult films were cheap to produce and always kind of had an audience. So they would always sell. Yeah. Um, so the ones that we watched, we will discuss now. Yeah, starting with Nazi Brothel in 1970. Uh, this may just look like a 54-minute comedy about Nazis with erectile dysfunction. It's actually the strong, empowering story of how Jane Bond infiltrated a Nazi brothel to get secret inf- information, which eventually results in a big campfire scene. Um, before we get to that point, we get plenty of repetitive jokes, random title cards, plenty of shots being reused, and many, many, many flaccid penises. What, There's so actually many. little to no sex in this film. There's virtually no sex. And this is the kind of gist that I got from... Gist. Uh, almost. Uh, it's just what I got from Steckler's adult films that we watched is that he wasn't too first about the sex itself. No. It was kind of a weird comedy centred around the sex. Like, he kind of had to include the sex yeah. to sell the film. And Carolyn Brant's in all these films but never has sex. No. And the interview that I read with her she didn't remember a lot of these of course not <laughs> because he they would start filming another straight up film yeah and he would use that the the footage of caroline to bulk out the porn yeah um yeah it it's tasteless i mean A- any sort of nazi based yeah. pornographic film Highly tasteless. Yeah, I mean, it. I think it's so bad it's good in parts because it's, I mean, abysmal anyway, regardless of the subject. It's just really, really bad. Yeah. But it's also kind of funny as well in parts. I mean, Jane Bond, that is high camp. Jane Bond is high camp. The fact, the, the, now there's three of them. And there's also title cards constantly that are like, Nazis are shit. Nazis yes. can suck a dick and, and so on. Yeah, and the idea is that, you know, it's not, Bigging up the Nazis. Yeah. It's essentially saying that Nazis can't get erections. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, <laughs> before that, you know, we don't like Nazis either. So I suppose if the, if the Nazis are the joke, then okay. I just, I don't think the two meld together. No. Nazi and pornography. Just, it doesn't sit right. No, and he got a whole trilogy out of it. Yes. So, I mean, the second part is Love Life of Hitler's Nazis, where Hitler makes an appearance himself. Yeah. Um, And there's more sex in this one, but lost, uh, a lot less Jane Bond. So this is just absolute abysmal trash. And the sex itself, when it does happen, is... Like boring, I suppose. Really boring. I mean, really boring. Yeah. It's just. <laughs> don't know how. But I mean, we. <laughs> I don't know okay. how crass we I are. Want to get we are gay people. We are gay yeah. people watching straight porn. So I kind of expected that anyway. Um, but he's obsessed with blowjobs. Like it is constantly. It's mainly blowjobs. It is mainly blowjobs. But when the actual sex happens, it's kind of always the guy sat on a seat, and then <laughs> the woman getting on top. And like spending ages trying to get the penis <laughs> into the right position, 
And I was just, I, I, some I of was bored. Yeah, some of it is shot so, some of it's like really hardcore and you can see everything, but some of it's like shot so badly yeah. to the point that you, you can't even see anything. Yeah. You, you could just be dry humping someone. Um, and concluding his Nazi porn trilogy is Dr. Cocklove. Yes, you heard that right. Dr. Cocklove. Uh, also known as Sex Slaves of the uh, SS, but I prefer Dr. Cocklove. It, the best thing about this film um, is the dialogue. Fuck Germany. Fuck Hitler and Greater Germany. Come on, big boy. I'll show you how we do it in Texas. Yeehaw. Yes. <laughs> they just don't write dialogue like that anymore. Um, you know? <laughs> it's true. Confusingly... A lot of the characters are from Texas for some reason. Yeah. Um, and it still has the required amount of floppy Nazi dick. But it also really spices it up with a double-ended dildo. It does. It does. It really, yeah. you know, breaking boundaries. Yeah, there. one step further. Um, but yeah, again. Just... It, it, yeah, again, if I never see another flaccid Nazi penis again, yeah. it would be but then we move on to his vampire porn films. Yes. Um, starting with Count Alcum. <laughs> Count Alcum, released in 1971. Um, first few seconds, Count the Count himself uh, is caught having a wank by the film crew. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jerry Deloney. It is coffin, isn't it? <laughs> Jerry Deloney plays Count Alcum and he is hamming it up to the extreme. He is. He thinks he is in a prestige Hollywood comedy here and he is doing his absolute best. Um, but all, all he does is run around Las Vegas like a fucking idiot in a cheap vampire costume telling bad jokes and just talking shit oh the whole God, time. He talks so much Even whilst shit. we get a few badly shot hardcore sex scenes, they're going at it and he's just like, oh... Oh, well, look at this, everyone. Whoa. And there's only one couple that actually have sex in yeah. the film. It's just the same couple. It was a bit boring. I mean, he gets his dick stuck in the door at one point. That got an extra half star from me. Mm. And he there's a scene of him in his coffin oh, telling, yeah, his, of course. He's telling his dick to go to sleep. He is. Um, um, I've, I just have on my notes, I don't know the context, and I'm not 100% sure who says it. But it's, she will taste the creamy hot juice of love. <laughs> Are you sure that's not the next one? No, no, it's can't I'll, uh, Count I'll come. Um, Probably. I mean, it did say a lot of random shit. <laughs> but it's continued in uh, The Mad Love Life of a Hot Vampire in the same year, 1971. He really just churned these out. This is an upgrade from Count Outcome. Um, this actually, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. Um... This is a film of a narrative. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was trying to be funny, but it, it, it is. It's very camp. Dracula has a moustache uh, and really fake looking thick eyebrows. We see cocks getting bitten off. Uh, the actor... Kind, not quite bitten off. Well, near enough. It's a weird... They've it's squirted a... a bit of fake blood on the Yeah, women, women wearing plastic fangs start biting very soft cocks. And there's fake blood. Yeah, on there. It's just kind of... um, the actor. <laughs> it's like a dog with like a really chewy piece of meat. <laughs> yeah, um, the actor playing uh, Van Helsing is called Will Long. That's a highlight. But the biggest highlight of all is the actor playing Dracula's assistant, 
who stays in character as this hunchback backwards type character the entire time. Like even when he's getting his signature Steckler blow job, he is <laughs> his eyes are going everywhere and he's still like, oh, 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 oh. like it is his commitment is admirable. <laughs> I, I want to have as much motivation as this guy. That is some acting. Uh, he should be very proud of himself. But that concludes his duo with vampire porn. Yes. Next up, we have the sexorcist. Sexorcism? What the fuck is that? Said by um, a guy with big bush of pubes with cum still in it. Um, whilst he's saying that. So this is trash, um, but it's got 70s porn charm to it. Uh, it's camp. It is fucking high camp. It's better than all three of the Nazi porn films combined. Yeah. Uh, Carolyn Brandt plays a journalist called Janice Lightning. She's a journalist, ladies and gentlemen. Janice Lightning. Janice Lightning is my drag name. Oh my God. Um, I don't know why this is marketed as an exorcist porn parody. It's not quite... It's... Yeah. The exorcist. Well, it um, would cost money for the makeup, wouldn't it? Well, it would, yeah. Uh, but I was highly entertained throughout this. It, it was actually quite entertaining. The flares, like the moustaches, everything is just... Yeah, Volta um, shouting, I am the power when he comes. Yeah. Um, somebody, I can't remember who, saying, well, I'll fucking suck and make a buck. <laughs> and the poor the poor woman, is there only like one porn actress in this one? Because yeah. she's for the whole thing. Well, she's a prostitute, isn't she? So that's the whole idea. That's of it. The, of but the yeah, and then it, it does. I'm I'm not saying these films are in any way um, feminist <laughs> in any way whatsoever. Um, they're they're not very to, to a modern audience. They're not very forward thinking. No. Um, because she does have a pimp, which seems to be fine to everyone. And she seems to really enjoy having this pimp yeah. that she has to have sex with. And then she has to have the sex with the customers. And she's she's fine with this. It's only I mean, when she... Sex worker positive, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. She enjoys her job. To a certain degree. The, the, the guy doesn't seem the nicest. But she does enjoy her job. Um, but she's... Bless her, she barely got a cock out of her mouth for the whole movie. <laughs> So if if she wanted good for, her. If she, good for her, but if she wanted this for her acting reel, it's not really gonna get her very far. Well, next up, the sexist didn't get a sequel, unfortunately. Um, but the final uh, Steckler porn film we have to discuss the movie, The Exorcist Two, The, the Sexist Two, The Hairy, well, The Hairy, The Hairy Dick, The Hairy Dick. I think it'd be accurate with the uh, the bushes in these. Oh films. yeah, Bush, Bush is in office. Bush is definitely in office with these. Good films. old seventies. Um, but to conclude our X rated section, we have what I genuinely believe is a fucking good film, and it's Red Heat from nineteen seventy six. It it's it's weird how kind of entertaining this is. It's a mystery thriller. It is. It's, it's a mystery thriller following porn filmmaker Cindy Lou Sutter's. As she casts a striking redhead, she dubs Red Heat to star in her latest hardcore movie. After Red Heat catches her boyfriend with another woman, she goes crazy and stabs him to death. Red Heat proceeds to embark on a murderous spree throughout Las Vegas. Is one of the 5,000 plot lines in this film. Yeah. But, oh my god. This is entertaining. It, it is entertaining. Strangely, it's 
a feature length. It's yeah. in it over 80 minutes, uh-huh. which wasn't really heard of with adult films. It's longer than some of his feature films. It is longer than some of his feature films. You know, the other films are under the hour mark, whereas this one kind of has 12 narratives. Yeah. Um, But it also kind of has beginning, middle and end. Yeah. It has characters. Now, um, what we need to to sort of point out that um, he called himself... Cindy Lou, is it Stutters or Str- is it Cindy Stut- Lou Stutters? Cindy Lou Stutters, um, was his that word I'm looking it's for. It's strange because Cindy Lou Stutters is a character played by Carolyn Brandt N- as a narrator, as a narrator, film, yeah, and also getting involved at one point, but it's not Carolyn Brandt, yeah. Um, but she narrates it and it gives like a noir feeling to it, yes. Um, but he marked, he, what is the word I'm looking for? I marketed really just, it. No, no. He, it's a pseudonym. Pseudonym. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, fucking hell. Um, yeah, he, his pseudonym for a lot of his porn films was Cindy Lou, um, Sutters. Without the T hand, Sutters. <laughs> Sutters. <laughs> Why have I written it down, Sutters. She certainly does not stutter. She gives a fantastic narration. She doesn't. It's very clear. My apologies. Um, yeah, I, I don't. Did why would he choose a female name? I know, because I mean, could have just given this to Carolyn Brandt to direct. I'd I'd have been absolutely here for that. But it's the it's the so narration strange. is I'm a female adult filmmaker, and I'm like, no, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> but why? Why would you make? It's Why would strange. you pretend to be female to direct porn films? Are, are you trying to say anything, or is it just that's what you wanted to call yourself? You're like, well, I'm yeah. just going to be a, pretend to be a woman for this one. There's a sort of jello feel to this, like bright red blood um, used in that you, the sort of thing you see in Italian horror films around this time. The sex scenes are actually really well shot this yeah. time around, that you do not miss a thing. A um, couple of my favourite lines of dialogue were uh, Roberto knows that girls love to be photographed, <laughs> which is a recurring theme for Steckler's work from this point onwards. Bizarrely enough, this gets a feature film sequel of sorts. Yeah. Um, which is, I've never heard of that before. No. Um, in porn. I Not that I'm a, a porn connoisseur, you know, <laughs> but it's unusual. Yeah. It's very unusual. The soundtrack's really good. It's very 70s. Again, this is what I imagine 70s porn looks like, but we've added giallo elements. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is thanks to Richard Kornbacher, who's the co-director. Okay. I don't know whether his touch added to the film. Yeah. But, I mean, there's similarities to Body Fever in here, and... You know, it, it honestly feels like the hardcore sex scenes were just thrown in at the last minute. A, a little bit. A little bit. Um, the narrator at one point she says uh, the girls weren't much to look at either, which was a bit. <laughs> yeah. Imagine and if then you shows were like... the overweight girl. Yeah, imagine if you were an actress in the film and you were like, "Oh, this is my big starring role," and then they that had been put over your scene. I'm like, that's a yeah. bit harsh. Um, the worst thing, and I, I gave it one less star, and because it made me feel sick. Precum strings. Okay, you gave it one less star because of that. People might like that. Oh, it made me just feel... Just because it's not for you. 
Isn't that what reviewing films is about? If it's something isn't for me. Yeah, but this is put, clearly put in there for someone's very specific kink. So of, of strings constant, of pre It's all the time. It was. It made me feel sick. It was constant. And please, if my mum's listening, I apologise. She won't be. Um, but oh, the close-ups of it. Oh, constant, constant throughout the whole fucking film. And with that, that concludes our X-rated section. You can get the kids back in the room now. You can carry on listening. Um, unfortunately, it's a downward spiral from here onwards. It is. Red Heat was his second, was his third peak. Now he's gone back to feature films, and I feel like his brain is very much still in porn. Um, we are heading into his serial killer trilogy, which continues the thrill killers um but doesn't continue the story um it's just another film about serial killers and that brings us to hollywood strangler meets the skid row slasher his most profitable film oh was it really yeah oh wow um home video um okay yeah 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 Yeah. Uh, this is when it was starting to take off this is 1979 and this is a slasher film following the Hollywood Strangler as he kills young models and the Skid Row Slasher who kills homeless men. What will happen when they meet? Honestly, one of the stupidest fucking endings in the history of cinema, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's not one spoken word of dialogue that was shot for this film. Instead, uh, it's narration and added in dialogue over pre-recorded background music. And this was also, in case you need no reason to hate this film, Serial Killer Ted Bundy's, uh, one of his favourite films. And they found a VHS copy of the film he was to sell. It... That's how it became a big seller, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, the, the first victim in the film is talking very clearly while she's being choked. And it's like, please stop, you're choking me. But... Because of the way it's filmed, like Gary explained, she's speaking very clearly, even though she's got, you know, hands around her throat. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, okay, this this is the level we're at now. And this is the first scene. It's so cheaply made. Yeah, and both of these characters are taken from uh, Red Heat. Yeah. Uh, same actors, and it, this is pretty much Red Heat but without the hardcore porn and more murders. But it's kind of uncomfortable and sleazy and honestly a little misogynistic because we have Pierre Agostino, who plays Jonathan Click, mm. the Hollywood Strangler, but then we have Caroline Brandt, who plays the Skid Row Slasher. She's not even given a name. No. And all of her scenes where she's for some reason murdering homeless men, Really unclear what the motive is there. Uh, they're hardly present because they're not an excuse for cheap TNA. Whereas yeah. the Hollywood Strangler, all of his scenes include nudity and it takes up most of the film. Now, he has a, a more of a motive. He's clearly just a big misogynist, but everything else in the film is just ridiculous. And spoiler alert, if you are planning on watching this, it ends with the two of them meeting he strangles her because he's the Hollywood Strangler and she stabs him because she's a Skid Row Slasher. That's the level we're at here. It, it's kind of... I feel like they were trying to play it out as some sort of love story between two murderers. Mm. Um, 
it, it, incredibly dull. It really was incredible. So, so repetitive. repetitive. It was just the same thing over and over. There was a couple of standout moments. The soundtrack I thought was fantastic. Um, you know, he used synths in this one. And yeah. It's brilliant. And I think it looked great. He really does a good job of capturing 1970s LA and it works as the backdrop for the more nasty scenes. Um, you know, the more unsuspecting LA bright and everyone's there in the summer and dressed nice and everything. And then meanwhile, people are going around murdering people. Yeah, I found like the second victim was a camp queen. Mm. She was uh, she, she she was very over the top, and then she was pretending to be bored, and she was proper modeling and acting silly. Um, but the majority of it is is just different ways that he's suffocating women, and it's yeah. really boring, um, very repetitive. It felt dirty. Felt. Mm. Icky. Uh, I, d- I didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah. No, there's just... The, that was it, really. There's not really much to go into. There isn't. And it gets even worse as well. With yeah. Las Vegas Serial Killer in 1986, which is a sequel to uh, The Hollywood Strangler. He was killed, clearly killed, at the end of the film, but he's back. Yeah. And With somehow, a weird accent. Yeah. And somehow... Caroline Brandt, who didn't bleed to death, uh, isn't back. She is dead, her character. Um, And this is pretty much the same film. But instead of Caroline Brandt, we get a uh, couple of thieves who are really uninteresting, little goofy, and they just rob women. And the whole thing is sleazy, pointless, misogynistic, boring, and messy. It is absolute bottom-of-the-barrel trash. And for me... His worst film because there's no excuse for this film existing at all. It, it's exactly his most walking as well in films. Yeah, so many fucking scenes of walking. So many establishing shots of Las Vegas, a, a lot of them during the day as well. And Las Vegas looks boring during the day. Um, just there's there's nothing to it. There's scenes of women doing burlesque stripping. But it's just, you know, actresses in front of a very blank wall dancing and taking their top off and then they get strangled or it really just this is this is bottom of the barrel bullshit. This is also the era where he opened up mascot videos in Las Vegas, um, which he would later go on to sell in nineteen ninety five to local businessman Dan Wayman. Now, this is very much a case of um as we heard such a darkness part three documentary so many filmmakers would open up their own video stores and make films mm. just so they could sell them and it definitely feels like hollywood strangler and las vegas serial killer are films that were made specifically to sell in this video store. yes yeah absolutely it's all filmed in las vegas in the cheap that's where he lived yeah and it's it's really strange because you know with the film itself it does feel heavily misogynistic but, you know, Ray Dennis Steckler always comes across as a nice guy. He comes across as a really nice guy in, in the interviews and, you know, the, the final film we'll discuss, which is a retrospective of his life. There's just something there that's likeable about him. But it's so strange to think he made this, you know, it's icky. It's it's not nice. It is. It, it's one of those, I, I think... <sighs> it's what people accuse slasher films of being. Yeah. But a lot of them aren't. 
but this is. I feel like, in his opinion, this this was him trying to find something to sell. Mm. What would sell? Here's yeah. a lurid poster with a lurid title, mm-hmm. and it gives people what they want. And we are, me and Gary, a particular type of horror film fan, mm-hmm. where the the TNA doesn't interest us. No, I mean, slasher is my favourite subgenre. Yes. I love slasher films. I love forgettable, boring slasher films, throwaway slasher films, but it's when you put nothing into it and there's not a female protagonist fighting back and the film is entirely just women being killed and beaten up and robbed. What's the point? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is what this film is. It's playing to a very uh, particular audience. Yeah who I don't actually think care about any of the horror elements. They don't care about um, it being scary or any tension or anything Mm -hmm. like that. They just want a lurid film with TNA. Yeah. Um, It's a very particular audience. We are not that audience at all. And it's just, it's awful because we've just seen that. Yeah, we've just seen it, and this adds absolutely nothing to it whatsoever. It's oh, yeah, just I I don't recommend at all to anyone. And the thing is, he he even started to make another one of these. Mm. What was it called? Dark City Full of Dark Alleys, City Lights, or or something like that. Dark Alleys in a City Full of Lights, or something. Yeah. Funny enough, with Jonathan Ross uh, making a cameo. Yeah. Which Strangely you got enough. to see a bit of uh, on the uh, incredibly strange films episode that he was in, um, but thankfully that was never completed or released. No. Instead, we got Angel of Vengeance in nineteen eighty-seven. He killed them. He killed them all, and now he's gonna kill us. Killed? Who killed who? What are you talking about? The major. He killed my friends, and now he's gonna kill us. I want a chance. Give me one chance, you bastard. 14 seconds. Come on. Let me go. And you and your men hunt me. Steckler was originally hired to direct this film. Mm-hmm. Producer Jeffrey C. Hogue fired him after three days of filming and replaced him with Ted V. Michaels, uh, who had been director of photography. It's also a film that was rejected for a UK video certificate in 1987 by the BBFC, and I don't know why, because nothing fucking happens in it. Well, we watched... So we watched this just for... in a completionist way, because we don't know how much of the film was... Ray Dennis Steckler directed. Yeah, this isn't in the box set. This isn't in the box set. We watched this on YouTube. The only place to watch it. The only place to watch it. And it did feel like part of it was cut out. Yeah. And the part being uh, related to sexual assault. Yeah. So I'm not sure why... I'm, I'm not sure if that was why it got rejected by the BBFC. Thankfully for us, 
it was cut out in the the YouTube version that we watched. Yeah, this is just more forgettable trash. It's supposedly a uh, rape revenge film, but it's again, you know, maybe it was cut out, but. What we watched is nothing of the sort. I mean, the poster completely falls you. Mm. She looks like an absolute badass in her in her army gear. You know, angel of vengeance. She is coming to get the men who hunted her down. Uh huh. Um, but that's during the last twenty minutes when she takes over, and it barely happens. Like yeah. it's, it, it. She doesn't get a lot of screen time. No. Instead, we just get men being pieces of shit and talking shit. Yeah, I'm assuming what they were going for was female uh, Rambo. Yeah. That's what I was getting from the yeah. poster. It was nothing of the sort. The only highlight in the whole film that wasn't painfully boring was um, the young woman made to look much, much, much older in a terrible wig and makeup <laughs> being knocked on her ass after saying, would you like to buy some fresh bread? I baked it myself. <laughs> And that was it. That was literally the only interesting part of that whole film. Yeah. And it wasn't even that interesting. Um, really, again, bottom of the barrel. Bullshit. <laughs> and then he took a break for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And he returned. <laughs> he returned with his beach party, oh. summer camp, masterpiece. Oh. The... Uh, the film you've all been waiting for, the silent film homage, uh, that is Summer Fun. That's right, folks. Not Summer Off Fun, <laughs> Summer Fun. Now. 1997. 1997. How do we know that? How do we know that? Because the whole film's filmed on a fucking 90s camcorder with fucking <laughs> generic keyboard music placed over the top. And it is... Awful. It's dedicated to the great silent filmmakers of long ago. Poor them. And I don't want to give too much away, but I will. Um, we did end up skipping some of this film. I don't know why this is made. Because I... it's just... it. I don't even know how to describe it. There's no real story to it. It's kind of like a home movie, but... They do some sort of Olympics. It's family yeah. and friends that do some sort of Olympics. There's some sort of gang warfare within the whole thing. There's two gangs. Um, one of them's called the Rainbow Bunch, but they're not gay. I wish they were. It would have made it more interesting. Yeah. We're introduced to a whole host of characters during the opening credits. But then it goes straight to a, establishing shots of a building site. Yeah. Even though it's meant to be on a camp. Um there was one highlight, I have to say, I have to say, the bikini contest. Um, the girl was dancing whilst the band plays some sort of Pearl Jam rip-off song. Yeah, silent film where a band performs and we get vocals. Yes. That's not how it works. But then the same band who look like Rage Against the Machine play in front of a waterfall, but the song is more Beach Boys. So it really looks completely out of place. Um, yeah, really dull. I'm so I feel bad, <laughs> but it was really shit, really shit. It, it this film should never have been released. It should never, it should never have been released. It's not a, cool film. a film. It's is not even a, a film. <laughs> yeah, and then. 
Finally, in 2008, <laughs> after selling his films online for many years, Steckler announced production of his new film, One More Time, which he described as an extension, as opposed to a sequel, to The Incredibly Strange Creatures, and he launched two MySpace pages and a website for cam- uh, for casting actresses uh, for his upcoming film. Steckler completed post-production of One More Time shortly before his death, it was filmed on location on the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk in Las Vegas on a budget of $3,800 using two digital eight cameras. The film was released direct to DVD via his website and MySpace in 2009. And this is, this is the big finale. This is the conclusion. This, this, it, this film baffles me. Because I feel like this, he's trying for something. Yeah. He's trying for that, um, what was it, Nicholas Ray lightning over water kind of end film. He knows he's close to the end. He knows he's, you know, dying and he's trying to do a retrospect of his mm-hmm. career and kind of tie it all up and say, you know, if this is what I've given to the world, you know, his biggest film or biggest known film, it's kind of an add on to that and the way he feels about that. What it actually is, is a lot of flashbacks to mixed up zombies. Oh my God, at least half the film is flashbacks to that film. Random, just... Just shots of people walking down the street. He himself has a conversation with a man on a bench. Yeah. But he's obviously not mic'd. So we don't get... We spend ages just him, like, miming to the guy because we don't get any dialogue. Um, A doctor tells Jerry that children who are ignored grow up to become killers. And that was it. An older gentleman with a long beard and a glittery blouse sings for a group of young partying girls at a bar. He so, sings the Rat Fink a boo boo song. Yeah, they appear to be more Britney girls than country blues girls, yeah. but clearly they were like, he said, Do you want to be in a film? Just dance to this song. Um, it just, it feels like he's just gone out with a camera, filmed random stuff. He's gone to some dude, hold my camera whilst I walk down the street, looking pensive. And it's difficult because I don't want to hate the film because I do feel like he's trying it's to do some bizarre because a lot of it doesn't make sense. But then the final sequence of the film, it, I mean, the whole thing is difficult not to recognise the enthusiasm and passion that's going to put in whatever this is. Yeah. But then... This last scene, oh my god, it actually, it was really touching, I actually felt something. It was, you know, him talking about how he's made no money in his life, and yeah, um, about his films and everything. Then there's a really lovely sequence of him and his family in a Las Vegas casino, um, and he's like showing his family members, and then he shows a bandit that says jackpot on it. And it's like, oh my god, this is so sad. This is genuinely so sad, really out of place. But it's like, he's saying, you know, I got my family, I got what I wanted in my life, that's the jackpot, really, and no one watched my films. It's like, oh my god, thank you for making me feel bad for trashing all your films. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's like, oh my god, it doesn't make the rest of the film good, but kudos for that final sequence. It 
it it feels like a fitting conclusion. It does. Of the film. Of the film. The end credits. Yeah. Make no sense. No. Because it, it baffles me that this film is meant to be some sort of ending to his career. And like I said, in some ways, a retrospective on his life and his career and what really meant, what life really meant to him. So why was it necessary to include shots during the end credits of a completely random older woman walking across a beach (laughs) and a couple completely random eating corn on the cob? But that is on brand. But that, that is, that is, that is, that is a fitting finish for him. I suppose because it, it makes is. no sense. That's that's I'm sure that's how he wanted it to end. Maybe. And then there's clips of Las Vegas serial killers. Like that's your worst film. Your worst film. Why are you including clips on this shit? And but yeah. That is the the life and the films of Ray Dennis Steckler. Yeah. And what a strange life strange. and filmography it was. In conclusion, I. It's not often where there is a clear divide in a director's filmography. Yeah. Between the good and the bad. Yeah. In terms of just how bad some of his films are. He progressively got worse, which is weird. Exactly. You know, that's kind of. Yeah, that's what I meant. You know, he started off. All right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mixed Up Zombies, you know, it wasn't for us, but there's an audience out there mm-hmm. for that kind of film. But by the end, far fucking hell. Yeah. Uh, what was he thinking? Yeah. And it's, it's, I feel bad, but I don't, because we sat there and we had to watch. I like the guy. I I mean, I, you know, apart from some hints of misogyny in some of his films, mm. I think he's an, he's an all right guy from what we've seen in interviews and stuff. And I admire his passion for filmmaking and his effort to get up and go and do it. It just, it doesn't mean that a lot of his films are good. A lot of them are fucking bottom of the barrel trash. But, you know, I feel like he, I feel like some filmmakers may appreciate him and may have took what he did and did a better job of it over the years. I don't think he's completely unknown. Um, no. But, you know, as I said, fair play to him for making... I say making a career. He didn't make any money from it, but fair play for, to him... A legacy. For, to keep going and leave yeah. a legacy behind. Um, and I'm... A lot of it was painful to sit through, but we can say we did it. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think ultimately for me, I would say... He made this shit up as he went along. And sometimes it worked, but the majority of the time it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, that is how is that guy don't that is I, how we choose to remember right. You interpret that as you please. As with all of our episodes, we have got an award section given to his films. Uh, Starting off with Biggest Queen, I'm going to give it to Jane Bond in his porn parody films and costume only in Body Fever. Because she's a badass, nasty... Nasty? Nasty. She is a nasty bitch in a good way. Nazi punching bitch and I am here for it. Take those Nazis down. 
She, I completely agree. It has to be Jane Bond kicking, flac- dressed like Catwoman, flaccid Nazi ass all day. Yeah. Uh, biggest <laughs> gasp! I have the first psychedelic orgy in Cynthia the Devil's Doll. I did did not see that coming. At no, all. Uh, I chose the whiplash from the change in tone during rap thing. Yeah, I have a tie for best dialogue. Oh, first up, I have your cheap. Cheap, what's a cheap about fifty dollars? Uh from the Phil Thrill Killers. And second I have nice little shot, my buttocks. Do 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 <laughs> from Hollywood Strangler meets a Skid Row Slasher. <laughs> that was the second bit, that's the camp for second bit. <laughs> <laughs> well quick she was a queen. And the way she says buttocks she was, as well, it's like buttocks. Buttocks. <laughs> Um, I went with this is Daisy. She's going to teach you how to swing. And funny enough, my dad's camp is Daisy Yay. showing up and acting like Mae West to seduce Bird in Wild Guitar. I went with uh, Liz Renee running through the desert in heels. <laughs> that's camp. And that's it. Talk to us on social media if you've even seen any of these films. We are Horrorcore Over on Facebook oh, and Instagram. Did you say what your favourite film was? I'm about to. Horrorcore oh, on Twitter. Excuse me. My favourite of its films uh, was Body Fever. Body fever. Um, good choice. Um, my favourite was The Thrill Killers. My least favourite is Las Vegas Serial Killer. Oh, yeah. I mean, it could be interchangeable. Yeah. Um, I'm To see all of my reviews of these films, I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazma205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. To see my uh, ratings of these films, follow me on Letterboxd, ChrisBarker823, and then on Instagram, ChrisBarker823. Give us a rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on everything else. Next week, we have double episode week on... No, we don't. No, we don't. This this week's double episode week. See, these films just melted my brain. I really... I have to say that I wouldn't recommend going through the box set to anyone. Space in, in all honesty, <laughs> what we did was watch them all back to back. Yeah. I would not recommend that no. because it was by the end it was a it was a real chore. Um, if any of what we've said interests you, okay, get the box set. But to be fair, there's only a handful of the films that I would personally yeah. recommend having to watch. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Friday we are back with our original versus remake episode for the month where we're discussing the stepfather. Oh, daddy. Stepdaddy. <laughs> Next week, we are starting. We're opening back up the Horror Court Trash of a Beach and oh, starting Summer Screams yes. 2023 with Boggy Creek and the legend continues. Yeah. The fact that it's called Boggy and it's a summer episode really explains what we do every year at this time. Um. Yeah. We discuss films that look like they're free in, shot in the freezing cold and... <laughs> Try saying this on the films. It's true. That's very true. Hopefully, the weather here in the UK will be better because it's done nothing but rain yeah, the so whole of July. Really. So, here's hoping. Summer Camp Classic. No. Summer, summer, summer Screams. Summer Screams. Why do I... <laughs> I get it wrong every time. Yeah, not all summer these films Summer Screams are will bring the summer to Manchester. Yeah. Maybe. Probably not. Well, we'll be back same time, same place on Friday. Bye.